A reading from the first book of Samuel. The Philistines gathered for an attack on Israel. Israel went out to engage them in battle and camped at Ebenezer, while the Philistines camped at Aphek. The Philistines then drew up in battle formation against Israel. After a fierce struggle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who slew about 4,000 men on the battlefield. When the troops retired to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord permitted us to be defeated today by the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the Lord from Shiloh, that it may go into battle among us and save us from the grasp of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought them the ark of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned upon the cherubim. The two sons of Eli, Hophi and Phinehas, were with the ark of God. When the ark of the Lord arrived in the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth resounded. The Philistines, hearing the noise of shouting, asked, What can this loud shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? On learning that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were frightened. They said, Gods have come to their camp. They said also, Woe to us! This has never happened before. Woe to us! Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods that struck the Egyptians with various plagues and with pestilence. Take courage and be manly, Philistines. Otherwise, you will become slaves to the Hebrews as they were your slaves. So fight manfully. The Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. Every man fled to his own tent. It was a disastrous defeat in which Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The Ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophi and Phinehas, were among the dead. The word of the Lord. Redeem us, Lord, because of your mercy. Yet now you have cast us off and put us in disgrace, and you go not forth with our armies. You have let us be driven back by our foes. Those who hated us plundered us at will. You made us the reproach of our neighbors, the mockery and the scorn of those around us. You made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. Why did you hide your face, forgetting our woe and our oppression? For our souls are bowed down to the dust, our bodies are pressed to the earth.
Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom and cured every disease among the Dominus Vobisco, Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Marcum. A leper came to him, and kneeling down, begged him and said, If you wish, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, touched the leper, and said to him, I do will it, be made clean. The leprosy left him immediately, and he was made clean. Then warning him sternly, he dismissed him at once. Then he said to him, See that you tell no one anything, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses prescribed, that will be proof for them. The man went away and began to publicize the whole matter. He spread the report abroad so that it was impossible for Jesus to enter a town openly. He remained outside in deserted places and people kept coming to him from everywhere. Ad hom domini. Well, today we have day four with this fourth homily of six of our little mini mission, our little mini retreat titled the healing power of Jesus. Yesterday's third homily I titled, The Healing Continues, What Can I Give to Jesus? And that's a question each one of us can ask ourselves, huh? And I went through a litany of 30 or 40 things that we can take to Jesus. Remember the people in yesterday's gospel, they were clamoring at the door. We're even told in yesterday's gospel from Mark, just before today's gospel, the entire town was gathered at the door of the house he was staying at, which was very likely Peter's mother-in-law's house because her healing had just taken place. We don't know that for certain. Scripture isn't that clear about which house he was in, but it was likely that he was there still at Peter's mother-in-law's house. So today I'm titling this fourth homily, Conversion and Penance, Giving More to Jesus. Conversion and penance. We not only want to take our crosses to him, whether they're emotional crosses, psychological crosses, physical crosses, we want to actually give him our own inner conversion. We want to carry out penance and reparation, not only for our own sins, but the sins of the whole world. Conversion and penance, giving even more to Jesus, we could say going beyond the things 
we feel we need healing from, we want to go deeper, right? So day number one, which was Monday, the homily was titled, Jesus' Baptism, His Public Ministry Begins, and the healings begin, right? You know, Mark's gospel is the shortest of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's only 16 chapters. If I ever meet someone who does not have a relationship at all with sacred scripture, especially with the gospels, let alone any other part of the Old Testament or New Testament, I always like to recommend they read Mark first. It's short. It won't overwhelm them. They take a chapter a day. They'll get through it in 16 days, just a little over two weeks, two days over two weeks, right? 16 chapters, 16 days. It's miracle after miracle after miracle. Each chapter is fast-paced, and it really introduces the reader to Jesus' healing powers. Because these are people, again, remember who I said have no relationship with Scripture. They have no relationship with God. And it's a, it's a fine gospel to introduce them to the healing power of Jesus. Day number two is titled, Jesus' Healing Powers and Miracles Continuing. And indeed they do. Yesterday, the third homily, on Wednesday, the healing continues. What can I give to Jesus? So we start taking our own things to him now, right? Healing in the forms of emotion, uh, any psychological aspect, any physical aspect, any uh, daily lived aspect. Maybe we're having troubles with our job or financial situation. Uh, more uh, national and international concerns we could take to him. Uh, praying for world peace among nations, etc. Praying for our own great nation to turn back to God. Well, today's fourth homily, again, conversion and penance, giving more to Jesus from within, huh? We can say really that today's readings focus on the theme of seemingly being defeated, okay? Seemingly being defeated. We saw that in the first reading, and we saw it with the leper in the gospel. Have you ever felt defeated or seemingly defeated by anything? Maybe by sin itself have you felt defeated. There's no hope for me to overcome this, maybe you say to yourself. In our gospel reading from St. Mark today, the leper may have asked himself the same question. Why have I been defeated by my leprosy? But if the leper had not been seemingly defeated by his leprosy, he never would have attracted the attention and the mercy or pity of Jesus. It's precisely because of his leprosy, his ailment, his cross, his need of healing, that he attracts Jesus' mercy and pity. Have you thought about that? Quite often, and I might add, unfortunately so, it is our woe and depression, our ailment and our crosses only that make us turn to God. After all, wouldn't it be great if we could turn to God and thank Him daily and frequently and often simply because things are going great? But that's not too much of human nature right there, fallen human nature. It's more of fallen human nature's bent to turn to God only when things start going south, when things start going not too well. Then we turn to God. But how great would it be if we turn to him daily, often, frequently, just because things are going great? This is why I love the glory be to the Father prayer. To pray the glory be just because, dot, dot, dot. For no reason, just to praise God, the triune Godhead, huh? So it is our woe and oppression, though, with fallen human nature that get us down 
And yet it is also our woe and oppression that precisely disposes us to receive God's mercy. And that's a great thing. In other words, God, God can bring great good out of bad. He could bring great good out of evil. As our response to the responsorial psalm states, redeem us, Lord, because of your mercy. Redeem us, Lord, because of your mercy. And all of this is illustrated especially when we receive the sacrament of confession. We see it literally enacted, receiving the mercy of God. Our Lord calls the sacrament of confession, of reconciliation, the great tribunal of mercy to St. Faustina three times, which she records in her diary. You know, and in promulgating the new rite of the sacrament of penance following the Second Vatican Council, now St. Pope Paul VI stressed the great value of frequent and reverent recourse to this sacrament of confession, even when only venial sins are in question. This practice is a constant effort to bring to perfection the grace of our baptism. Every time we receive the sacrament of confession, we could say that the graces from our baptism, which is how we began this week, remember, with Jesus' baptism and what his baptism means for our baptism, and I asked you to research your baptismal date so you would know what day you were baptized on. Baptism wipes away not only the original sin, but any personal or actual sin the person might have committed, that is to say, any mortal or venial sin. But if they receive baptism before the age of reason, around age seven, there is no actual sin or personal sin or mortal or venial sin yet committed, right? So in that case, if they receive the sacrament of baptism before the age of reason, only the original sin is wiped away through the baptism. But should they receive the sacrament of baptism after the age of reason, after the age of around seven, the church holds as the age of reason, then the original sin and any actual sin, which is synonymous with personal sin, which is synonymous with any mortal or venial sin, is also wiped away. So this is the link then between confession and baptism and how confession reignites our baptismal graces. Because any personal, actual, that is to say, mortal or venial sin committed after the age of reason, after baptism has also been received, along with the age of reason, confession wipes away that actual or personal sin. But so does baptism. So the two are linked. This is why, again, Pope St. Paul VI says, this practice of frequent confession is a constant effort to bring to perfection the grace of our baptism. So every time you receive the sacrament of confession, your baptismal graces get a boost, we could say, huh? It brings to perfection the graces of those baptisms. And Pope Pius XII defended the practice of frequent confession, even of venial sins. He said, by it, self-knowledge is increased, Christian humility grows, bad habits are corrected, Spiritual neglect is resisted. Spiritual tepidity or lukewarmness is resisted. The conscience is purified. The will is strengthened. A salutary self-control is attained in daily life. And grace is increased in the person's life in virtue of receiving the sacrament itself. Nine chief benefits of a frequent confession right there. 
nine chief benefits of a frequent confession, whether it be only venial sins confessed in that confession, whether it be only mortal sins confessed in that particular confession, or whether it be a combination of both venial and mortal sins confessed in that particular confession, it doesn't matter. These are the nine chief benefits of a frequent confession. This is what I mean by giving even more to Jesus, conversion and penance. Let's go through each of these nine now. I expound upon them in my book, Overcoming the Evil Within, the Reality of Sin and the Transforming Power of God's Grace and Mercy. I say in my book, here we see these nine benefits of the sacrament of confession, whether it be just venial sins or mortal sins or a combination of both that are confessed in one particular confession. Let's look briefly at each of these benefits as expounded upon by Pope Pius XII. Number one, self-knowledge is increased. Many saints make clear in their writing and teaching that self-knowledge is needed to grow in holiness. This means knowing and admitting your virtues so that you can advance them in your life and knowing and admitting your vices so that you can begin to uproot them out of your life. Number two, Christian humility grows. Humility is the moral virtue that keeps a person from reaching beyond himself or herself. It is the virtue that restrains the unruly desire for personal greatness and leads people to an orderly love of themselves based on a true appreciation of their position with respect to God and their neighbors. Not only does the practice of frequent confession help us to grow in humility, but the very act of making a good examination of conscience required before even stepping into the confessional is a humbling experience, making that examination of conscience. And it helps us to grow in self-knowledge as well, the examination of conscience coupled with confession. So we can see here the links between these nine elements, right? Christian humility growing, number two, is tied to the self-knowledge increasing, number one. And the self-knowledge increasing, number one of the nine, is tied to Christian humility growing in the person's life, which is number two. Number three, bad habits are corrected. Little by little, through frequent confession and honesty with one's confessor, who will offer advice accordingly, bad habits can be overcome. Frequent, worthy reception of the sacrament of confession means frequent graces received from that sacrament for those bad habits to overcome them. I can think of two chief goals of a frequent monthly confession. Once a month, 12 times a year, say in honor of the first Friday of each month, in honor of the Sacred Heart, or in honor of the first Saturday of each month, which are in honor of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, going 12 times a year, once a month, around first Friday, first Saturday, I can think of two great chief benefits of a frequent confession. Number one, chances are you will only have venial sins to confess, no mortal sins. Why do I say that? Because it's precisely the practice of a monthly confession per se that's keeping you away from mortal sin. How beautiful is that? And number two, the second chief great benefit of a monthly confession your confessions will be about two and a half to three minutes long. In total, that includes the priest part. <laughs> How great is that? <laughs> I'm talking about the introduction by the priest, the confession of your sin, him giving you some advice, uh, you thanking him for that advice, and him giving you the absolution. About two and a half minutes. How great is that? Number four, spiritual neglect is resisted. Let's say you are struggling to establish the practice of praying faithfully and daily the rosary, 17-minute practice, or the daily Divine Mercy Chaplet, 
around a seven-minute practice, or even making a morning offering upon rising each day out of bed. You're struggling with these practices to be faithful to them daily, let's say. Your failures to practice these devotions would be examples of spiritual neglects, what the great spiritual masters call spiritual neglects, that cause your spiritual life to suffer. But frequent confession can help us get back on track, especially if your confessor assigns them to you as a penance, and so you begin to carry them out more faithfully on your own, even beyond their being a penance assigned to you by the confessor. You become more faithful to them. Our next one is spiritual tepidity is resisted. Let's say you do indeed carry out such spiritual practices, like the daily rosary or the daily chaplet, or the morning offering, but only infrequently and not daily. You're doing them somewhat frequently, but not faithfully daily. In other words, you carry them out in a tepid or lukewarm manner. The graces from a frequent confession can help ignite a renewed spiritual fervor within you that will help make your daily spiritual growth stronger and more committed each day. Amen to that, right? Next conscience is purified. Confession of one's sins brings with it a purification and, importantly, peace of conscience. This is tied to the healing aspect of confession. Indeed, confession is one of the two healing sacraments along with the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. I said yesterday we have three sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and Holy Eucharist, two sacraments of union and mission, Sacrament of matrimony and holy orders, and two sacraments of healing, confession and the anointing of the sick. So the purifying of the conscience is really a healing aspect, a healing power of confession. What's the old saying? The best pillow at night is a clean conscience. Isn't that great? The best pillow at night is a clean conscience. Next, the will is strengthened. Whereas our intellect is what helps us to know, makes sense, our intellect helps us to know, our will is what helps us to choose based on properly ordered love. Through the practice of frequent confession, our wills become strengthened to help us more frequently choose good over evil, virtue over vice, and the beneficial over the malicious. And we make those choices with the will to choose the good, the true, and the beautiful over uh, the bad and, and the false and the ugly, we could say, with the great gifts of the five bodily senses and the four faculties of the soul, intellect, will, memory, and imagination, and sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. This is why I said earlier in the week, these nine great gifts of the body, soul, composite, the five bodily senses or powers, and the four primary faculties of the soul, giving these nine gifts to God daily, for example, in our morning offering. Mention them by name, all nine of them. God, I give them to you this day. Should be part of your morning offering. A salutary self-control is achieved, is number eight. Only you can control you, temporally speaking, okay? Only you can control you. Frequent confession makes us simply want to do better in all aspects of daily living. It's the grace of the sacrament that propels us to control our lives better by practicing an ordinate love toward persons, places, and things, and not an inordinate or disordered love towards persons, places, and things. 
So to choose the good, the true, and the beautiful daily, we want to have an ordered love towards persons, places, and things, not a disordered love towards persons, places, and things, all right? So self-control is achieved. And number nine, grace is increased in virtue of the sacrament itself. Uh, not only the graces themselves of confession, but also the graces of baptism. We've already talked about that this morning. Grace is increased in virtue of the sacrament itself is number nine. Every sacrament, when it is received worthily, increases sanctifying grace in that soul. For Eucharist and confession, the only two sacraments that can be received both repetitiously and frequently, this is especially true. In fact, the sacrament of confession can even help to perfect the grace of our baptism, as already said. This is because baptism, while wiping away the original sin we inherit from our first parents, also wipes away any personal sin, also called actual sin or mortal or venial sin, that we might have. Well, confession always helps rid us of personal sin. This is the link between confession and baptism. We should add, though, that going to confession only out of scrupulosity and scruples is not helpful to the penitent, nor is it the intention of the sacrament. Scrupulosity is seeing sin where there is no sin at all, but rather, say, a simple fault, or seeing mortal sin when in reality it's only venial sin. Okay? Indeed, scruples can stunt one's growth in the spiritual life, so, so don't fall into scruples or scrupulosity. Um, you want to have a good, strong spiritual life and a, and a good, strong, holy monthly confession, all the while striving sincerely to shun mortal sin, and God will help you. God will assist you, you know? There's that, that great quote I've said many times by St. Jose Maria Escriba, the founder of Opus Dei, God wants to make you a saint right there where you are. God wants to make you a saint right there where you are. And these are the spiritual helps we need to help get us there. The Imitation of Christ, uh, Book 1, Chapter 20 says, No one is truly happy who is aware of an unclean conscience. No one is truly happy who is aware of an unclean conscience. And what was one of the nine elements? The conscience is purified through a frequent confession. Pope St. Clement says, It is better for a man to confess his sins than to harden his heart. Proverbs 28.13 says, He who conceals his sins will not prosper, but he who confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Isn't that beautiful? Proverbs 28.13. St. Isidore of Seville says, All hope consists in confession. Believe it firmly. Do not doubt. Do not hesitate. Never despair of the mercy of God. Hope and have confidence in confession always. Remember the word confidence from earlier in the week? Con fide, with faith. That's what confidence means. Con fide, confidence, with faith. Con with fide, faith. So, hope and have confidence in confession always, St. Isidore of Seville tells us. Hope and be with faith in confession always. St. Jerome says, do not despair of God's mercy no matter how great your sins, for great mercy will take away great sins. For the Lord God is gracious and merciful and prefers the conversion of a sinner rather than his death. Patient and generous is God's mercy. 
And remember, he called the sacrament of confession the tribunal of mercy to St. Faustina. St. Philip Neri, an Italian priest and the founder of the Oratory or the Oratorian Fathers, says, when we go to confession, we should accuse ourselves of the worst sins first and of those things which are, we are most ashamed of, because by this means we put the devil into greater confusion and reap more fruit from our confession. Confess the more serious, grave, mortal sins first, if, if there's any, there may not be any, might be just venial sins. But if there are, confess those first, because then you throw the devil into confusion who's not happy that you're there in the confessional. Because what's he whispering to you before you walk into the confessional? Oh, you don't have to confess those mortal sins. That one mortal sin, you don't need to confess it. No, no, no. You get in there and you confess that mortal sin first, because then you throw the devil into confusion. Again, St. Philip Neri, when we go to confession, we should accuse ourselves of our worst sins first and of those things we are most ashamed of, because by this means we put the devil to greater confusion and reap more fruit from our confession. One of the very best means of obtaining humility is sincere and frequent confession, end quote. St. Philip Neri, remember one of the nine elements, humility grows. And he ends that quote by saying, one of the very best means of obtaining humility is sincere and frequent confession. And St. Cyprian, early church bishop and martyr, to be reminded that we are sinners and forced to ask forgiveness for our faults and sins is both prudent and sound. Christ both taught us to pray for our sins and our faults and also promised to show us a Father's mercy and forgiveness. And St. Augustine, bishop and doctor of the church, and I close with this, he says, this is our glory, the witness of our clear conscience. This is our glory, the witness of our clear conscience. Giving more to Jesus, conversion and penance. God bless you.